0: Hello, and welcome to the Film Jerk Podcast. I am your host, Edward Havens. Today's episode is going to be a short one, as we take a look back at a long-time 80s favorite, one that most everyone who has seen it loves, but isn't as high on the movie lover's radar as it deserves to be. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Like any other night, then... Something happened. Did you see that? Something different. It's the shooting star. Why here? Why now? Why clowns? the universe. What are you gonna do? (laughs) Knock my block off. (laughs) Killer clowns from outer space. Just cruising through the galaxy and stopped here for a bite to eat. You don't need a police pal, you need a psychiatrist. Uh They want to play games. They're messing with the wrong guy. What are you in for? Killer clowns from outer space. It's crazy. Killer Clowns from Outer Space would be the first feature film for the Chiodo Brothers, eldest brother Charles, middle brother Stephen, and youngest brother Edward. The Chiotos were young special effects artists in the mid-1980s who found some minor fame for creating a dinosaur puppet used in one of RoboCop's fake commercials for the SUX 6000 for helping to design the Critters from the movie series of the same name and for helping on visual effects on such movies as Hal Needham's Megaforce and Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys. In fact, it would be during Charles' work on The Lost Boys that would introduce the brothers to all that Santa Cruz had to offer as a potential filming location for killer clowns. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. Let's get back to 1984. The brothers had started their own effects house called... Chioto Brothers Productions, with a special focus on animation using clay, what would become known as Claymation. You know Claymation, depending on your generational status, from the California Raisins commercials or the Wallace and Gromit shorts and movies. One of the Chioto's best known gags was the Large Marge sequence from Tim Burton's first movie, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. the driver's body from the twisted burning wreck it looked like this (laughs) (laughs) oldest brother steven Chiotto had worked with tim burton on his 1982 short film vincent and knew who to turn to for this short but effective gag the large marge scene was one of the most talked about scenes in the movies and would help the Chiodos get more jobs in Hollywood. One evening, while driving home from a job, Stephen Chiodo had a thought. What would be the most frightening thing he could imagine? And what he came up with was the image of a car catching up behind him on a lonely mountain road. When it passed him, he would look over to see a clown staring back at him. Stephen would present the idea to his brothers, and very quickly they had a full story idea for Killer Clowns. But it was Charles Chiodo who came up with the twist. What if the clown was an alien, and what if the clown wasn't driving a car, but was floating above the ground? The screenplay came together rather quickly, and in late 1986, they would, thanks to a friend, Pitched the idea to Transworld Entertainment, the B-movie production company behind such films as *Creature*, *I Madman*, *Programmed to Kill*, *Rage of Honor*, and *White Ghost*. Moshe Diamond, the co-chairman of Transworld Entertainment, bought the movie idea right then and there. One company, one pitch, one green light. Although Diamond was quoted in a May 1987 article about Transworld that the company would spend $6 million alone on special effects and design work for Killer Clowns, the final budget would be a more modest $1.8 million. On April 20th, 1987, the film would go into production. The home base would be a converted warehouse in Watsonville, California, a small town in the southern part of Santa Cruz County. And they would also utilize the famous Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, which you've also seen in Harold and Maude, Sudden Impact, The Lost Boys, and Dangerous Minds amongst many films as a secondary location. Now, I was hoping to have a special guest on this episode to regale us about his very short one-day stint as a killer clown. But he wasn't feeling up to the task. So instead, I'm going to present his memories from filming, as he wrote in his review of the Killer Clowns DVD that was released in late August 2001. Also, if you visit this podcast's homepage on FilmJerk.com or Podbean.com, you can see a picture of Dick and our friend Bronco, name change to protect the guilty, in costumes, as clowns. Here is Dick's Remembrance. It's 1987, and another film crew has come to the laid-back town of Santa Cruz. Word on the street is that the project is called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. For a B-movie buff like myself, this is tantalizing information. Certainly, the film is destined to be a science fiction slash schlock horror masterpiece. I had luck weaseling other jobs out of the local casting company in the past. Would it be possible to grovel my way onto this set as well? I not only wanted to be a clown, I needed to be a clown. My ship came in when a couple of clowns took ill. Our friend Bronco got the call that both he and I would be needed during some late-night shoots at a warehouse in Watsonville. It doesn't get any more glamorous than this, folks. We arrive on site and are introduced to what would soon be our nemesis, but at the time seemed like a couple of harmless clown costumes. We get right down to the art of movie making, waiting around for our shot to be set up. It seems boredom is universal to an extra's life, even when the movie is a horror comedy, which allows for more hijinks than most. Practically comatose, From all the fun we are having, and the bad craft services, we are relieved when we are finally asked to suit up. This is when the fun really begins. The costumes were rather large and clumsy, and the clown head masks surely exceeded the maximum amount of weight to be supported by the human neck. My mask was particularly high-tech, with remote-control eyes for maximum clown realism. My high-tech eyes caused a strange buzzing vibration that ran through the mask, making me fear I would become the recipient of involuntary shock therapy. No offense to the FX crew, of course. The thick layer of foam padding created the outward appearance of clown, makes for an extremely warm experience for the human cocooned within, and who knew running in clown shoes required such skill? As we rehearsed our running scene over and over again, breathing became more and more difficult, but we trooped on, determined to be the best clowns we could be. We started shooting around 10 p.m. and did take after take for five hours. Repeatedly, we waddled through our scene, never quite sure what we were doing due to bad visibility and the confusion that is inevitable as heat exhaustion sets in. Unable to hear the director, we fumbled around, trying to imagine what the method would be for a killer clown in our position. As the fifth hour approached, we were sure that we must be completely fucking things up, and are sure the producer hates us for causing the production to go into overtime. Either we finally nailed our marks, or the director simply gave up and called it a wrap for us. In payment for our sweat and tears... We got pictures of ourselves in costume and the satisfaction of a job well done. In retrospect, I suppose I should have charged my subsequent chiropractic visits to the production. Now, if you've seen the movie, the scene they are in is rather quick. At the 1 hour, 12 minute and 45 second mark, when Mike and Deputy Dave are in the clown lair and escape from two of the clowns by ducking into an elevator. The clowns react by banging on the elevator, even though there is a call button right there to the left. That's Dick and Bronco. I also have a very small personal connection to the movie. While the film was shooting in Santa Cruz and Watsonville, the production rented one of the theaters I worked at, the Aptos Twin, to run their dailies, the raw and unedited footage of scenes shot the previous day. And because I was a wannabe filmmaker, I volunteered to project those dailies for the Chiodo Brothers and the production team, always before the theater opened in the early afternoon. And we're not talking in some little screening room on a studio lot, but a 500-seat auditorium that would normally screen the likes of Time Bandits, Tron, and Top Gun. But we were a commercial movie theater. We didn't have the kinds of projectors, to do things like run film back and forth and back again. So if the Chiodos wanted to watch a particular scene again, I couldn't just roll it back a few seconds and run it again. We had to run through the entire 10-minute reel. Then I had to re-thread the projector and run it over again. But for a couple weeks, I got to be the first person not directly involved in the production to see the wacky madness that was going to be Killer Clowns, from outer space. The film would shoot for several weeks in and around Santa Cruz and Watsonville before adding some pickup shots at the Chioto Brothers studio in Los Angeles during post-production. The score started recording on Halloween Day and the film would be completed before the end of the year. As it would happen, my girlfriend at the time and I were planning a trip to Los Angeles to celebrate New Year's with her mom, who had just moved south after divorcing my girlfriend's dad. And somehow, Dick and another friend, who we'll call Beach because everyone just calls him Beach, and that is his real name, ended up joining us. We went to see a bunch of movies that weren't playing in Santa Cruz yet, like Good Morning Vietnam, Iron Weed, and Moonstruck. But somehow, Dick talked us all into heading into Hollywood to go to the Transworld building on Sunset Boulevard, which is now the West Coast headquarters for CNN, because he wanted to know when the film was coming out. It was a stupid plan. Hell, it wasn't even a plan. It was just stupid. But back then, a person or group of people could just enter a building, go right to the bank of elevators, right up to the floor you wanted, and walk into the offices of an independent distributor, which is exactly what we did. But the receptionist was not impressed with one of the killer clowns standing in front of her, demanding to see Moshe Diamond to know when his movie was coming out in theaters. we'd soon have our answer though Transworld Entertainment scheduled the release of the film for June third, nineteen eighty eight Now, the internet will tell you the film opened one week earlier on may twenty seventh but i I cannot find a single display ad or review from any Newspaper on that date. I can find a full page display ad and a short but positive review of the movie in the June 3rd Los Angeles Times. Now, how well did the film do? We may never know. It appears Transworld never reported grosses for the film, which played in 13 theaters in and around Los Angeles and another five in San Diego and then did very little, if anything, to support the film after that first burst of a release. In fact, I cannot find a single other play date in the rest of the country during 1988 except for the one that I know about personally at the Nickelodeon Theater in Santa Cruz on Friday, August 12th, since that's where Dick, Bronco, Beach, and I saw it at the end of the damn craziest movie day I had ever had to that point as we had driven from Santa Cruz to San Francisco at 5 in the morning to make sure we were able to see the first show of Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ at the North Point Theater, which had also opened that day. That's 80 miles each way to see a movie and experience the absolutely mind-fucking bonkers scene that surrounded the release of the film. But that's another story for another day. Killer Clowns would get released on VHS through Media Home Entertainment in early 1989, and my friends and I would watch it regularly, even if only to watch Dick and Bronco's single five-second scene. It would also play on cable regularly throughout the late 80s and early 90s. MGM-UA Would release it on DVD as part of their excellent Midnight Movies collection in August 2001, and it would be released twice on Blu ray first by MGM UA in 2012, and then a better special edition disc from Arrow Films in 2018. For me, what I love about the movie is that it's a lot of fun and just the right amount of horror without going overboard. John Vernon, whom most of us know as Dean Warmer from Animal House, had already perfected his smarmy asshole character by 1987, and his sheriff Mooney is for me the best part of the film. The main leads, Grant Kramer, Suzanne Snyder, and John Allen Nelson, are effective but not particularly interesting, which really isn't a problem here because the stars of the movie are the damn clowns. Their costumes, the practical onset effects, the creepy heads, I love it all. I am never bored watching it, and I can still laugh at the same gags I've laughed at dozens of times before. And even if you're afraid of clowns, this movie should not scare you too much. In the hands of many other filmmakers of the day, this would have been covered in buckets of blood and pus and splattered brains trying to one-up movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, and Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, one which would open a few weeks before Killer Clowns and the other a few weeks after. And maybe that's why the film enjoys a cult favorite status, but isn't held to the same esteem as The Blob or The Evil Dead or Puppet Master or Reanimator. In the 80s, Horror often meant blood and violence and slaughter and carnage and gore and more gore and even more gore and more gore still. And damn it, what the hell is a movie with a title like Killer Clowns from Outer Space doing with a PG 13 rating anyway? That's a hard R bordering on X title for sure. And damn it, it's got clowns drinking blood from people, cocooned in giant cotton candy coffins and one person is being used like a puppet because he's been hollowed out by one of the clowns. Why the hell is this film PG-13? I don't really care why they went soft on the bloodletting and general butchery. It's a better film the way it is now, and one that if you've never seen before, or haven't seen in a while, you should be watching on Netflix in a couple of minutes when you're done with this podcast. Which is done. Right now. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon. The Film Jerk Podcast has been written, narrated, and edited by Edward Havens. As we are an independent podcast without sponsors or a network of websites to help promote the show, we rely on word of mouth to get the word out about the show. So please help get the word out. Please post about the Film Jerk podcast on your socials please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast source. Good ratings and reviews help get the podcast higher rankings, which help the show get seen by more potential listeners. And as always, I look forward to your comments about the show. You can leave me a note on this podcast page at FilmJerk.com, or you can leave me a message on my Twitter feeds at Edward A. Havens or at FilmJerk. The Film Jerk Podcast has been a production of Idiosyncratic Entertainment. Thank you again. Good night.